Hello and welcome to And Why Not, the new film series from the nerds who haunt themselves. Um, this is the first one. Um, I'm joined on this episode by the mighty Steve Taylor Bryant, who work, writes film reviews and articles for Dreamcage Media. Um, and on this one, we talk about the 2002 film Death to Smoochie. Um, for those not familiar with the idea for this one, it's basically myself and a guest talking about a film that the guest has picked, so in this case, Death to Smoochie, and about why they love the film and where applicable, sort of the impact it's had on their life and just sort of how it's incorporated and become part of their life and a little bit about the film in general. Um, this is the first one. It's very much like our other podcast. So it starts with a basic idea and then it's just a freeform conversation from there. So it's a little bit more like listening in on somebody's conversation than necessarily listening to an interview. Um, hopefully it works. Hopefully you dig it. Um, if you do, let us know. Um, got some more of these planned, so they'll be coming up in between the Nerds and the Y Nerds podcast and the Y Comics podcast. And uh, yeah, uh, like I say, hopefully you enjoy it. Um, I'll give you all the links that are in the main body of this podcast again at the end. Uh, hope you enjoy listening. And uh, yeah, I'll pass you over to Pastor Stewart and Steve Taylor Bryant. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for, you know, telling the judge I was allowed to talk to you again. Well, you know, it took a lot of red tape to get through, but I think it was worth it to talk about the film we've chosen today, or you've chosen today, which is... Do you want to say the name, or shall I? It's Death to Smoochie. Death to Smoochie. You want to say the name. <laughs> I do want to say the name. I've wanted to say that name out loud for so many years. Nobody's ever heard of it. Well, it is, I mean, this is what I really was looking forward to with doing this because I was kind of worried that my first one was going to be like, yeah, this is somebody who's like, yeah, I really want to do Star Wars. <laughs> that, that's cool, but it's quite nice to go with an obscure one, which, I mean, so Death to Smoochie, the 2002 Danny DeVito film. Yes. Uh, which, so, sort of like, why Death to Smoochie? What is it you love about Death to Smoochie? Well, why Death to Smoochie was um, I, I grew up watching uh, things like, do you remember uh, Romance in the Stone and stuff like that? Yes, very much. Then, Back when ITV used to do a Saturday evening movie. Exactly. The best one of, of that trilogy was The War of the Roses, the last one that Danny DeVito directed. And I thought, my God, this guy has got like a really dark sense of humour. And so that's why Death to Smoochie. I just wanted to watch another Danny DeVito film, to be fair. He's just... Oh, he's so dark. <laughs> so the film came out in 2002. Did you sort of find it then? Were you following it as it came out? Or was it one that you just sort of back in the days I, of video shops came across? Or I, I, I kind of knew it was coming out. There was uh, I worked in London at the time and there was uh, like an advert for it in, in one of the papers. But this is like kind of pre-internet for me. Um, and I actually discovered it from a nice Chinese man in Camden who gave me a DVD and promised me he worked for the studio. Um, <laughs> and so I watched it off that because you couldn't find it in a video shop. You couldn't find it playing at the cinema. It was it was almost like it got released purposely for nobody to see it. Yeah, because I think it didn't do well in America. I remember reading about it in Empire magazine. Like just small little bits, but then it, and I vaguely remember them reviewing it but I don't, I could never find a, a cinema. I mean, Gloucester Charlton is kind of a black hole for small films anyway. But yeah, so I could never find it. I eventually just bought a DVD copy in HMV, I think about two or three years after it came out. 
Yeah, I, it, it was one of those funny films. I mean, it had a hell of a budget. When you go back and you look at it now, I mean, they don't make $55 million films anymore. I mean, $55 million. Yeah. But it made 27 pence, something like that. <laughs> and yeah, it is a small film, but it shouldn't have been. Is kind of, you know, you look at the cast, you look at the director, you look at the budget. This should have been the biggest film of, of that summer or, you know, that season of films. It should have yeah. been massive. And I, you know, un- until I spoke to you pre this interview, <laughs> nobody else had ever heard of it. Well, no, because I asked you sort of what film you'd be interested in doing and you sent me a list and I was like, oh, I am. Nobody's ever mentioned death to smoochie to me without me prompting them. <laughs> and you were kind of well, that's the one we got to do then. We're like a little secret club, I think. There's, there's like four of us across the world that have ever it. seen it and actually like it. When you think it's 2002, it was Robin Williams is the, well, you know, he was the biggest name on it, and Ed Norton, both sort of at the height of their. I mean, Robin Williams sort of in that cusp of the renaissance of one hour photo and insomnia and that sort of thing. I mean, that was certainly his best year. In my opinion, 2002, yeah. One Hour Photo, Death to Smoochie, Insomnia, three films that you just, you know, you can't fault any of them. I mean, One Hour Photo was just, I, I never, ever thought I'd see Robin Williams, of all people, play a role like that. No, that's it. Or Insomnia. I mean, it says something when this is his lightest film out of those three. It does really, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but and Ed Norton just off of Fight Club, pretty much, and yeah. sort of building up that thing. So it was peak Ed Norton time. And it just, yeah, it seemed to just disappear. Just quietly appear on video shelves in, like I say, HMV. I think I picked it up for about a fiver in a sale. Yeah, it's just, oh, they just didn't I, market it. They they just had no faith in it, I don't think. I think the studio were really keen with the cast and then saw the finished film and went, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it's kind of in this post-Birdman era, you could kind of see it being that year's Birdman. It's got yeah. that indie... And I mean, again, this is the time that indie film was massively popular with still tar- people riding the wave of Tarantino, that sort of thing. And it's yeah. just sort of it's that just... late 90s, mid, early 2000s kind of indie darling period just I, before I, it died I, off again in favour of the big budget stuff. I think its biggest problem, other than, you know, the fact that they just didn't release it very well, is it's outside of its window. Um, if it had been five or six years earlier, I think it would have been right in the middle of that kind of that Tarantino indie window and it may have done better. And now when you watch it back with hindsight, it's so much more relevant today that if you made it today, it would be an instant classic. Yes. It was just the wrong, I don't know. Yeah. The, the wrong period to release it in, I suppose. Yeah. I guess it's sort of that period where nobody knew what to expect from a Robin Williams film. They were expecting more Mrs. Doubtfire kind of comedy. And this very much is, <laughs> Darker definitely, comedy. Definitely not Mrs. Dankfire. <laughs> no, even though it shares some cast members. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's definitely, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a Robin Williams family film. No. So if, I mean, people who grew up watching his, his stand-up uh, in the 80s would probably appreciate his performance a lot more because it is basically his stand-up, but with that kind of one-hour photo darkness vibe to it. Yeah, because it's certain that certain lines from his stand-up that seem to sneak into the film, which I'm guessing is from letting him improv. Yeah, that, I mean... It that worked perfectly within the film, but... Yeah, I mean, it wasn't written for him. It was written for Jim Carrey. Yes, and he um, dropped out. didn't need to do The Majestic, I think it was. Yeah. See, again, if Jim Carrey had done it, would it have been a bigger film? Yeah. But, I mean, he Robin Williams had to carry off 
a lot of the kind of Jim Carrey manicness, if you like, um, that he would have brought to the film because that's how it was written. And I thought he did a phenomenal job, to be honest. I did. I can't imagine anybody else in that role. I haven't seen it. I mean, I could, when you say Jim Carrey, you can picture it, but it's just not the same. I see more no. of a cable guy kind of version of the character rather than the Robin Williams character that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, to be honest, the film works for me purely because it is Robin Williams doing that kind of cable guy, Jim Carrey impression, if you like. And you just did not expect that from somebody like Robin Williams. You expected Mrs. Doubtfire or maybe something a bit more arty. You certainly didn't expect, you know, I'm Rainbow fucking Randolph. <laughs> <laughs> I want that T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, so you you were given a, it from a... Chinese man who worked for the company. Yeah, well, that's what he for, told for, me. For so. the distributor. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll stick with that. <laughs> um, so, had you sort of, how aware of it were you before? Was it as soon as you got it, you rushed home and watched it? It was the film you've been waiting to see? Or was it oh. kind of like a, oh, give that a look? Yeah, I mean, if I'd have had it on videotape, it would have been worn out. Um, <laughs> I mean, in those, in those first few months, I, I probably watched it every day. Um but I've, I've watched it probably three or four times a year since. So, I mean, it's one of those films I just constantly go back to and I always find something else in it. Or maybe I'd, I'd laughed at a particular joke the last time I watched it. So I missed another one. So I picked that joke up this time or that quote or it's just it's the gift that keeps on giving, to be honest. Yeah, I must admit, I'd not watched it for a few years until... You know, we said about doing it for this, and then I watched it again the other day, and I watched it again last night, so it was fresh in my head, kind of thing. And I'd forgotten how good it was, and I'm surprised I hadn't been going back to it more. But I mean, I can see why people don't like it; those people are wrong. But, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> the, the it's, problem it's is that wonderfully bite in satire as well. When, I mean, when you watch it back with hindsight, I mean, I'd, I'd, I've written loads and loads of notes for this because I didn't know whether it would be like an interview thing or a chat thing. But I mean, you just go through my notes and when you read it back with hindsight, there's Nazis in it. The Nazis yes. are back. TV presenters do support them. Um, children's TV presenters were evil assholes. In 2002, we didn't know that. <laughs> the general public weren't aware that children's TV presenters were actually quite evil people. It makes you look at Mr. Tumble in a whole new light, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it does. <laughs> Not and to it... imply that Mr. Tumble is. <laughs> but it's things like, I mean, uh, Norton, when he, as, as Sheldon Mopes, is like vegan Twitter. Yeah. You know, he's just so, oh, too much. And then you've got Robin Williams is, is far too far the other side. He's like Doctor Who fandom on Twitter, you know, <laughs> all, all angry because of girls in it. And it, it's just, you watch it back with hindsight and you pick these little things up now. And, and I mean, that whole Nazi rally kind of in 2002, you know, was, was a funny set piece within the film, but didn't really mean anything. But nowadays it's like, oh, I can actually imagine somebody doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and then you sat there watching it and you, you pause the film because you're trying to work out which TV presenter, you know, would actually turn up probably in a rhino costume at a Nazi rally because that's the world we live in now. So, I mean, with hindsight, the film is just so good but probably too far ahead of its time. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, it's, yeah. Um, like I say, I think it would be the Indie Darling film if it was released either a few years before or now. Yeah. But, but yeah, so um, 
so what do you remember about the first time you watched it? Was it one that you were like, I've got to watch that straight away again or? Yeah, mainly because of, of how, when I, when I first watched it, I, I genuinely thought Robin Williams and Edward Norton had been completely and utterly miscast. I just, I didn't get it on the first viewing. And I'd been so excited for the film because it was a Danny DeVito film and I loved the cast from other things. And I thought, no, I've got to watch this again. I'm obviously missing something. And it's just the fact that Edward Norton is just so calm, very rarely raises his voice. And he's so not what you would expect from Edward Norton. You know, when you watch Fight Club, when you watch American History X, you know, and go all the way back through through the stuff in the 90s, he was just against hype, if you like. And obviously with Robin Williams, you know, Mrs. Doubtfire and stuff, I hadn't actually seen one hour photo at the time I first watched Death to Smoochie. And it, I just wasn't ready for that kind of performance. And I thought, oh, I've definitely missed something rather than give up on something that I'd been excited for. I went back and watched it again and it kind of clicked the second time. And yeah. I knew exactly what they were doing then. And then it just became, I don't know, Hollywood spitting image, if you like. It was, it was some of the best satire that I'd seen on big screen. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the first time I watched it, a lot of that satire went over my head. It took, it was a little while before I went back and watched it again. And then I think you're right. I think it's a second view and it all sort of clicks to the point where I was forgetting that it was Edward Norton at times because I'm so used to the other Edward Norton. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he he was, um, I, I mean, I read some reviews uh, a few years ago and there's so many people saying that he'd phoned it in. And I was like, no, actually, he he didn't. He performs it like that because that's what the character needs. So yes, if you're if you're used to Edward Norton, American History X and Fight Club, it might look like he's phoned it in, but the amount of restraint that he actually has to use to play that character so straight in a film, so funny, I think it's just remarkable acting. Well, that's it because I mean that's the guy you're rooting for. The Robin Williams one, you're very much not rooting for, and that's a very difficult balancing act to get. That as a character that's that wholesome, yeah, I mean, and, I mean, but very in something done, deep. If Norton had done any other kind of performance in that film up against that performance from Robin Williams, he just he would have been buried. Yeah, it just would have been far too much from everybody. And the fact that he played it so straight, and Williams went so lunatic with it. You know, and then you've got good old Catherine Keener in the middle, who's kind of like the audience member, if you like, trying to ground the entire thing. And I ended up rooting for her. <laughs> yeah, I I think she is sort of that middle ground base level character, isn't it? Because you're not keen on her to begin with. And she sort of, I think it's around the time she goes to apologise to him and you sort of see the human side of the character. Yeah. Because I love that scene where having the meeting about the breakfast cereal and they're like, and she throws the frisbee for him to go and fetch. Yeah. And she's like, shut that door. Now lock it. <laughs> But but again, when you look at the cast, I wasn't, I hadn't seen Catherine Keener in anything funny before I'd watched this. No, I, I think that re- might have been the first film I saw her in. Yeah, I, so I, I think I saw I, her in that, and then I think around the same time, I then went to watch the Forty Year Old Virgin, which was the other one that she was in. See, I hadn't seen Forty Year Old Virgin at all until um, like a couple of years ago. I, I wasn't really a fan of that kind of, you know. I wasn't, but I had a cinema humor. pass, so I was seeing everything. <laughs> But I, I just didn't realise quite how funny Catherine Keener was. Yeah. And and, and it's subtle with her. That you know, there's there's just little looks that she gives or or the odd little line or the way she delivers something. And like you say, I mean that she's just so human within it. And I think that the because the film is so darkly funny and it is so ridiculous, you need that kind of 
grounding character in it so that as an audience member you don't get lost in all of the insanity that's going on yeah completely because i mean watching it it struck me how tim burton-esque it is in places with some of the shots and the set designs and that sort of thing i mean you know not full tim burton but you can there's a certain like i say a burton-esque style to some of it yeah there was, i think that um, comes across in some of the characters as well like you know John Stewart, which was the reason I watched it, because I was a big fan of The Daily Show, and I know, <laughs> noticed that John Stewart was in it. I was like, I don't think I've ever seen him act. Did you, did you see John Stewart a few years later when he hosted the Oscars? I think it's about three or four years later. Oh, I'm um, the fourth leading male from Death yeah, to Yeah, I'm the fourth leading male from Death to Smoochie. Please rent it. Are you still trying to sell that film to people <laughs> even three or four years later? He must be on residual payments or something. I think it's got a cult following. I think people do ask him about it because I think that I read an interview with him where he was somebody asked him about the possibility of a sequel. He was like, you know, oh yes, please take all my money for, now. Forgive me <laughs> if I'm wrong, but doesn't a film have to make money before it gets a sequel? <laughs> I think was his answer to that. And um, I mean, that's a kind of Edward Norton thing, though, isn't it? I mean, Fight Club made no money on its first release. No, that's money. it. It it made it. It's only famous and talked about now because of the following it got on DVD and video and stuff when it was released. Well, so, I mean, Shawshank Redemption was bombed when it came out. Yeah. One and of the, it's considered the best one of the greatest made. film ever made, yeah. yeah. <laughs> after Death of the Mishy. Yeah, after Death of the Mishy, obviously. Because <laughs> that John Stewart role was meant to be Hank Azaria originally, from what I read. Oh, the uh, the Simpsons voice guy? Yeah, but he, didn't, oh, really? he did America's Sweethearts instead. See, lots of people dropped out of this film to go and make stuff that, to be fair, didn't do any better than Death to Smoochie. <laughs> no, that's it. I mean, possibly America's Sweetheart made a bit more money because it had Julia Roberts in it, at least. But, but did that would, have you Julia back, would you go back and watch that multiple times? Uh, no, I'd probably, if it was on telly, because it's got John Cusack in it, I'd be kind of like, yeah, I'll watch the end. But I'm probably not sure I'd make it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not the Julia Roberts film I would constantly go back to it's not the john cusack film i'll constantly go back to but you well, know no, no, Norton, robin williams i constantly go back to death to smoochie so yeah but i think that's the the victory of it is that it's it's got a life beyond i tend to find that a lot of films that are dismissed or misunderstood at the time are the ones that have the longevity rather than the ones that are big and popular at that time yeah, I mean, I, I do think with Death to Smoochie, it is definitely a timing thing. Um, you know, in 2002, the world was a different place to what it was five years before, what it is, you know, now. Um, and it would have worked in either of those two windows. It would have worked as like the kind of indie darling film in the, in the mid to late 90s. It works now as basically a really long Saturday Night Live sketch. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's... Adam Resnick, who wrote it, worked on larry sanders show i love the larry sanders show and that comes across <laughs> a lot in it times when i was watching it in hindsight of having now seen the larry sanders show as well kind of, this is quite larry sanders in places it was it was and it had the kind of satire that you were you were getting on saturday night live in the late 90s uh, he was involved with, with them um he did letterman as well didn't he? he was one of the writers on that for a bit did he do Letterman as well, did he? Yeah. Um, oh, wow. I loved Letterman as well. Larry Sanders, though, that was an underrated show. It was. It was one of those BBC Two ones that was kind of like, we'll show it this week, and then next week we'll bury it here, and then we'll bring it back the week after, then we'll bury it over here, and, and then the... we'll cut it up for three weeks, and then we'll bring it back for a little bit. And sometimes it was nine o'clock at night, sometimes it was one in the morning, and it's, oh. I see. I need, just I need to get out on DVD. <laughs> yeah. I'm... I love Larry Sanders. <laughs> we should do a Larry Sanders podcast. <laughs> 
You should. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, we've gone off. Death is making yeah. yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, like you say, you go back to it and watch it like three, two or three times a year. Um, is that your like go-to movie? Is that your when you're feeling a bit down, feeling ill kind of thing? Is that your sit day movie kind of thing, for want of a better term? I, I, I suffer quite badly with depression. I'm, um, I, I don't know what the modern terminology for it is, but when I was first diagnosed, it's manic depression. Yeah. And when I have my my bad times, believe it or not, my go-tos is the Leonard Cohen albums or leaving, <laughs> or leaving Las Vegas with Nicolas Cage. And I don't know why such sad stuff lifts me out of my mood. But when I, when I need a laugh, when I need to just watch something funny, it's Death to Smoochie or it's Dogma. And they're the, the only two comedies that I can guarantee, even after all these years, all of these viewings will make me roll on the floor. That's interesting. See, Dogma is another one that I didn't get the first time I watched it. It was one that was forced on me. <laughs> uh, I, I got it in a completely different way to, I think, how Kevin Smith wanted me to get it <laughs> I, took it, I, I took it as a really funny anti-religion thing and it wasn't until i saw a, a a documentary a couple of years later and he he was saying you know how much of a catholic he actually is and was explaining what his up, upbringing within the church was like that yeah I it's a very it. pro faith yeah film. it's very anti-religion yeah it's, it's anti-organized religion rather it's yeah, I mean, I watched it for Jane Silent Bob and a, and a chip monster. To be fair, and, and now and now when I when I watch that one back, I I get more from it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and it's the same with Death to Smoochie. I mean, God knows how many times I've seen Death to Smoochie now. I've got to be going up on you know high double figures, but it makes me laugh every single time. That's it. And there's very few comedies that sort of have that repeat value. There's comedies that I will rewatch over and over again, but and the jokes still make me laugh, but not in that same way. I think if you can find a comedy that continues to do what it did for you the first couple of times you watched it, I think you're on to a winner. Yeah, I, I mean, Resnick has done a great job with, with the script on this because I don't think it's the jokes that still land. I think it's the overall, I don't know, I'm searching for the right word, but the overall maybe feeling. Yeah. Of the, and, and it doesn't matter what year you watch it in, something will have happened in the world that makes that film relevant again. Whether that's people draping themselves in the stars and stripes to, you know, look all patriotic after they've been caught out doing something, whether it's the Nazi thing, whether it's you know, charities. I mean, you, you look at the Parade of Hope in it and, and you, you know, back in 2002, what do you mean charities are fucking evil corporations? <laughs> What do you mean they're then, skimming off the top? Yeah, and, and then you get, you know, big charities accused of all sorts of, you know, weird and wonderful things you wouldn't have thought charities would be capable of. And it, it, every single year it just becomes more and more relevant. And I think I, that's why I keep going back to it is because it, it makes more sense and it means more every single time you watch it because something else has happened. And it, Perhaps that's it, why it, they tried to bury it. <laughs> That's why it got so badly reviewed and poorly distributed. I just don't think that the studio had any faith in it whatsoever, which is a shame because up until then, Danny DeVito had, had not had anything not land, I don't think. No, because I mean, it was Matilda, the, War of the Roses. War of the Roses did very well. It's not as loved as maybe Romance in the Stone, but it still did very well. Um, Throw Mama from the Train. Yeah. You know, I'd say Matilda was a massive hit for him. Yeah. 
you know, you look at his IMDb now and what's he directed since Death to Smoochie? Yeah, that's very true. Um, but, I mean, because I mean, that was a Warner Brothers film in the States, wasn't it? It was Film 4 distributed over here. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think Film 4 did themselves any favours with it either. I don't ever actually remember watching it on Film 4. I don't. I've only ever watched it on... I don't think I've ever... It's one of those films that if I caught it on telly, I would watch it. Yeah. I mean, I used to watch a lot of Film 4 10, 15 years ago, and I, I genuinely don't ever remember watching it on Film 4. Yeah, I kind of get the feeling that Warner Brothers didn't want to distribute over here, so it was in a the film distribution equivalent of a bargain bin. And Film 4 were just like Robin Williams and Edward Norton. Yeah, we'll have that one. Yeah, I... T- yeah, I don't think that they, they knew what kind of Robin Williams they were getting, to be honest. I don't think anybody did. And I think that's probably why it didn't do very well. It's because nobody was quite ready for Rainbow Randolph. <laughs> <laughs> he, at the time, he was a kid's presenter. This, you know, it was so unbelievable. It's not now. Well, no. He's, he, yeah. he's actually one of the better ones, you know, if you go <laughs> off what's really happened in, in children's entertainment. But at, at the time, you know, you didn't ch- touch children's TV and maybe it was t- too much. I don't know. It wasn't for me. I thought it was hilarious, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so sort of, how does it? The impact it's had on your life, like you say, you go to it when you need to laugh. Is it? You write about film, and amongst other things, has it had an effect on that? The way you view things, that sort of thing, or is it just a film you purely enjoy, purely enjoy as a film? I mean, I really enjoy it as a film. Um, I, I do refer to it sometimes, you know, mentally, when, if I'm reviewing something, if I'm reviewing like a, uh, what's anything that's billed as a dark comedy, Death to Smoochie is kind of, you know, that's where the, the, the bar set. Yeah. So if you want to be dark and you want to be funny, you have to at least hit where Death to Smoochie is. Otherwise, you're not a dark, funny film. Um, so I kind of, I, I use it as that kind of guide, you know, if you're pitching me a film and I've got to review it and you're saying this is the most darkly funny thing that's ever been made, you know, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, I I tend to watch it just purely because I I just love it. It's just, it is, I, I, I find a lot of enjoyment in really, really dark things. And again, I don't mean to keep harping on about it, but the way it is so much more relevant now I don't know. It's kind of like a you you can get buried in in the news that's that's around you, and it's just it's what Saturday Night Live used to do for me when I used to be able to watch it. I mean, it's not on TV over here anymore, um, but I mean, I, I grew up in Germany on a on a RAF camp that also had Americans on there, so Saturday Night Live was on the the local TV thing. So I grew up with that kind of satire sketch show, and you don't have those anymore. No, and this is as close as I get. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it doesn't hold back. I think if it was made now, it would possibly be a bit t- be a bit tamer. I think they would have cut some of the edges off a little bit. I think perhaps if it was made now, it it's virtually impossible to make satire now. Yeah, and it really is. And I I don't know. It I mean it's it's funny and relevant today by accident. Yeah, I'm not sure you could write it today. Because at the time, it, everything was so unbelievable. Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, there was still an element of mystery to the whole, I think, social media and that sort of blown open the world of entertainment. Whereas in the time Death of Smoochie came out, there was still a sort of mystique to it. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you you didn't have everybody's opinion on social media. You didn't have review upon review telling you how you should think. You didn't have, you know, you didn't have rolling 24-hour news. So that's how, you know, children's presenters and stuff. It wasn't in the public consciousness because you didn't have all of that rolling news and, and things. And the world's changed. So accidentally, death to Smoochie would work today as it is from there. But I, I genuinely don't think you could write it. No, I, I wouldn't even know where you would begin. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. Um, so sort of like, what are your favourite standout scenes from it? What is it when you watch the film? The bits that you really look forward to getting to, in that way that you do with the film. Uh, yeah, I mean, quite quite near the beginning, before um, before Smoochie actually gets hired by the the. Um, TV executives, they they go and see him and he does little charity things at children's homes and at methadone clinics. Yeah. And and he's there in this really god-awful rhino suit that is looks like it's made out of tissue paper. <laughs> Singing to a load of stoners, we'll get you off that smack, oh yes, we will. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that I just find incredibly funny. And I don't know why. There's probably something deeply rooted inside me that's broken. Um but when you when you've got a children's entertainer singing to heroin addicts about getting them off smack, it's oh, it's just a glorious scene. And Norton again playing it so straight, like you know he genuinely wants to be there. He genuinely wants to help these people get off drugs, and he wants to do it wearing a rhino suit. <laughs> it's a, it's an awfully made rhino suit. As well. Oh, it was hideous, wasn't it? Hideous. <laughs> It's when he's eating the hot dog afterwards. He holds it. I was like, "This is purity." Yeah, uh, it's like, that's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I mean, that's one of the seats. Where, you know, that's one of the scenes when you're first in there, and obviously you've you've got you get introduced to Rainbow Randolph as he is the famous TV presenter. You know, dancing around with the chick with the the children and and things like that. But that first time, I think it's. If I'm correctly thinking, it's during the FBI sting in the restaurant. It's the first time he says, I'm Rainbow fucking Randolph. And it's yeah. just, oh, okay. Robin Williams is going to be different here. <laughs> and that kind of, that, that one line, the way he delivers it, just as he's getting arrested. Yeah. It kind of, yeah, that set the tone for the rest of the film for me. That's like, oh, this is going to be interesting now. And so uh, I, I think very often in, in films, that first third of a film where you have to lay the groundwork, where you have to start the story so that, you know, you can get to the final act. I think very rarely do you find films where that first act is quite as important and quite as well done. I mean, go back to what you said um, about the, the Burton-esque type stuff and the, the camera angles. When you first see Jon Stewart, they, they kind of film him from above and really close up, and it makes him look so tiny. That's it, and he stood on the company logo, isn't he? Which makes it gives yeah. it a really weird and you, you have aesthetic that whole, feel to it. Yeah, you have that whole board of executives. Because of the camera angle they're using to make you know Stokes look so small, the rest of the board looks so huge. And it you know it, the camera angle alone is a metaphor for how corporations are run. <laughs> it's just little tiny things like that, are just really, really clever. And I like clever films. I don't care if a film isn't isn't great, so long as it tries. Yeah. Death to Smoochie tries to be really clever. And 99% of the time, the clever things that they try land really, really well. 
That's it. Even if you don't like the film, you sort of have to appreciate the direction. Yeah. Benito as a director, I think, is horribly underrated. I think he's a genius. I genuinely think he's a genius. And the fact that he, he hasn't been given a decent project since Death to Smoochie, I think, is, you know, criminal. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, there's several films that I could have that I've watched that I could imagine a Danny DeVito directed. I mean, Birdman, I could imagine Danny DeVito doing. Purely, I think, the similarities with Death to Smoochie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know I know DeVito's still doing a lot of acting. I know he's... he's yeah. I don't know if he's given up or whether Hollywood's given up on him. But I, yeah, still, I, mean, I, I still think imagine a man's got a lot it. to offer. I imagine if you pour a lot into a film like Death to Smoochie and then it's has got the kick in that it did. I think with a few exceptions, it was largely panned across the board, certainly in America. I think it was better received over here in the reviews that I've seen. But but there's so many directors working today that, you, you know, you, you look at their back catalogue and they've all got a failure on them. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you if you don't want to hire him for Death of Smoochie, hire him for The War of the Roses. Hire him because of Throw Mama from the Train. Is it hire him because of Matilda? Hi, hire him because of Matilda. Matilda, yeah. I mean, I'm not a big Roald Dahl fan. My eldest loves it. So I've sort of watched it with him and I'm kind of like, eh, you know, I'm not digging the film as a film, but the direction is lovely. I could see Danny DeVito doing more kids' movies. There's a there's a Danny DeVito touch to the way that Matilda is made. That I mean, I'm I'm not a fan of Roald Dahl. I, I never was as a kid. No, um, I yeah, wasn't. <laughs> you know, Matilda's Matilda in it. I mean, the kids love it. It's not aimed at me. But there is certain scenes where you watch it where, you know, you're like, oh, I recognise that camera angle or I recognise what he's trying here from The War of Roses, from Death to Smooth. You know, and he, yeah. he has a, I don't know, not he has a particular style, maybe not as as easily recognisable as maybe a Gilliam. But yeah. There's, but there's definitely something that when you've watched a film, you can tell it's a Danny DeVito film. And yeah, I mean, directors I, like that need to be supported. I say Burton S, but there is a Gilliam S to his to this film as well. That I've not I, really thought about till you mentioned it. But. To be honest, Gilliam is about the only other director I can think of working at the time that could have made this film. Yeah, and I think it would have got panned purely because it was Gilliam, because nobody likes Gilliam films anymore. Yeah, which is a bizarre thing because I know he makes left field out there choices, and there are a couple of Gilliam films that, while I appreciate the technical side of it i don't enjoy his films well now we're gonna to have to stop talking aren't we <laughs> <laughs> you go sit in a corner and think about what you just said well i find some gilliam films to be growers rather than no i, mean, I gilliam's been my my all-time favorite director since probably 12 monkeys in the in the mid 90s I've, yeah. I've watched everything i've enjoyed everything some of his later ones that haven't done so well you know are in my top 10 best ever films but Gilliam could have made Death to Smoochie. Danny DeVito did a great job with Death to Smoochie. And I, I don't know anybody else who could have made it. Yeah. And that's what makes it so unique. And isn't that what we want in films nowadays? We want a bit of uniqueness. Yeah, 100%. I mean, like I say, it's all so out there. It's all so believable, but it's also all so out there in... I mean, even like John Stewart's hair. <laughs> like, it's so fucking bizarre. <laughs> John Stewart's hair is, is, you know, that that wig, it has to be a wig. There's no way he let them cut his hair like that. It has to be a wig. And that I, wig the only is thing I can imagine the is best bit of casting. 
he had it slicked back when he was on the Daily Show at the time. So all I can imagine is they just took all product out of it and just pulled it forward. If it's not a wig. Maybe. I, I didn't start watching The Daily Show till after Death to Smoochie. So I, I wasn't really uh, familiar with him. I kind of recognised his face from a couple of things. Um, but yeah, I, I, it was a couple of years later I started watching The Daily Show. And then obviously when he, when he hosted the Oscars and he gave Death to Smoochie that shout out in the end. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, I really like you. I'm going to be a lifetime fan now. <laughs> I always thought it was a great shame he's not done the Oscars again. He's done it twice, hasn't he? But He... he He's he's a uh, he, he's an utter genius, utter genius, and I'm I'm just really glad that you know in in this day and age of of social media and opinion constantly that he actually does get the the kind of recognition that he deserves because he is well he was the best thing on TV for twenty years. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, yeah, I was gutted when he announced he was quitting the days. I hundred percent understand why he did. He, he looks a lot better. He looks a yeah. lot healthier now. <laughs> I think he was exhausted, wasn't he? I think, well, I couldn't imagine doing that every night. No. It's got, it's got to be soul-destroying as well when you have to search through daily news every day and then try, <laughs> try and find the funny side of, of some the, of the stuff that's going on. The amount of Fox News he must have been watching. <laughs> oh, that poor bloke. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> But, I mean, that's, that's maybe how you could make Death to Smoochie nowadays, you know, take it away from children's presenting and, you know, make it about Fox News or something. You know, bring a, bring a Democrat into Fox News or maybe, maybe, yeah. that, maybe that was work. Maybe that's how you can make a Death to Smoochie satirical film nowadays. But satire is dead, man. Reality lives. <laughs> I think it's difficult to satire things. I mean, what's left that's so popular in the zeitgeist that it's worth being satirised? No, YouTubers. Be, yeah, and, and when you do try satire, people don't get it, so you're just going to get attacked for it. Yeah, 100%. It's, yeah, I mean... Like I said, there's nothing offensive in this film, but I just think it you're, you know, not massively, yeah. you know, aimed at, like you I'm, say, I mean, the main characters are vegan and promotes healthy eating, but it's not... And being nice to each other and manners and, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, even the, 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 scene, the scene in the warehouse where, where he comes out on stage and the, the lights finally go down and he, he sees that, you know, they're all going high or smoochy and he's in that Nazi rally. <laughs> it was tastefully done. It was, a yeah. joke that, it was a joke that was cleverly written, tastefully done and landed really well that nowadays would be part of a documentary. Yes, because it's all too real. That's I it. Think... I mean, chucking some tiki torches and <laughs> yeah, it, it Death to Smoochie works because it it works every year. It works again because it's so unique, and I don't think you could make it. And I think if you if you want to watch satire very well done, you have to watch Death to Smoochie. One hundred percent. I think it was made at the right time. It was just released at the wrong time. <laughs> Yeah, if that yeah, makes they, sense. Yeah, they 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 should have waited. They should have waited. <laughs> uh, and also, two thousand two. I mean, it was only a year after the the twin towers thing. And you know, when you're when you're knocking some of the the kind of things that the Americans were were leaning towards for their their kind of their daily humor for their being able to get through a day after such an atrocity. Yeah. Maybe, you know, having a purple rhino 
draping himself in the stars and stripes because he's got caught at a Nazi rally is a bit too soon. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. It's I've, it's weird to think of things in the context of 9-11 sometimes. It seems so far ago now. Yeah. That you forget how fresh it was even a year, you know, two I'm, years after it happened. I mean, the film knocked American TV. It knocked uh, the Stars and Stripes. It knocked American charities in in a funny and clever way that maybe was too soon for an American audience. That doesn't excuse the rest of Europe and the rest of the world and and Britain where it also wasn't received well and should have been. Yeah. I suppose it's at a time when people were looking for heroes. It's a film that sort of shines a light on the corruption within heroes with um, Rainbow Randolph kind of like being this idealized figure in children's telly. And then you've got a film that's. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's why I like it because I don't like the hero thing why why does everything have to have a happy ending why does there have to be a hero i mean it's got a happy ending i mean that i that ice skating bit at the end where they all kind of <laughs> fly out it's probably the most bizarre film in the uh, bizarre scene in the film and probably wasn't needed but it's incredibly funny to look at no i think the bizarre th- scene in the film is after um they've killed the wrong smoochie after they've killed um, spinner <laughs> And then they do the the show on ice, and it's got Spinner going up to heaven. But again, going back to De, going back to um, Devito's direction, I mean, the entire thing done in silhouette and, and bright red lights when they actually murder Mucci, and then to have you know such a Wagner esque ice opera to to explain what's gone on. It's such a beautifully shot one as well. Oh. It's absolutely have you, stunning. Have, have you ever seen an opera on ice done better than Death to Smoochie? It was beautiful. I don't think I'd had any interest in an opera on ice until that one. <laughs> <laughs> like more, like, more operas need giant purple rhinos. Yeah. I mean, again, no, it comes it comes back to DeVito's direction because other, other directors trying to make a piece of satire like that wouldn't have put a Wagner-esque ice opera about murdering a cuddly rhino on screen <laughs> no. because if you saw that you know if you're honest if you saw that written down on a piece of paper and you're an executive you'd be like no no i'm not i'm not paying for this this won't work <laughs> but it doesn't it is so it's elegant it's an elegant scene in, in in a really clever film that i just wish more people had heard of yeah yeah so i mean like there's so much the scene where he's dousing himself in petrol in Times Square, just that scene with that little girl, where she's like, "What are you doing, Rainbow, uh, Rainbow Randall?" And it's like this beautiful moment, and then it cuts perfectly to, "Hey, there's Smoochie." Yeah, you know, she. I mean, she saves his life on one hand, and then moves on to the next big thing on the next. I mean, if that's not a metaphor for life, <laughs> I don't know what is. <laughs> she's kind of pulled away by her dad. Yeah, it's, I, it's oh. not even like she wants to go necessarily. <laughs> Poor old Rainbow Randolph. He couldn't get anything right. Couldn't stay on TV. Couldn't kill himself properly. I actually felt quite sorry for him in that scene. Couldn't make a dick cookie that you know, <laughs> it's get away with. Ship. <laughs> <laughs> it's a penis. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that bit. Just always watching in the mirror, just kind of like, yeah, you're gone, you shit. Um. <laughs> uh, there's one line I can't I can't remember where it is. I think it's towards the end, and um, 
where Rainbow Randolph just turns around with so much bile in his voice and just goes, bite me, Buddha. And just, <laughs> My God, Robin Williams, what have you become? <laughs> and again, it's one of those things you've got, you kind of got so involved in the film that you expected that line from the character. But when you, when you watch it back, after you've seen it the first time, it's like, oh my God, Robin Williams just said, bite me, Buddha. <laughs> and it's it's just full of so many surprising things that I just wasn't expecting. And I and I find something new every single time I watch it. Well, it just doesn't end the way you'd expect it to either. No. It sort of builds towards the downfall of Rainbow Randolph. And, you know, you kind of start to root for it after a little while. You feel sorry for him, but at the same time, you're kind of like, he just, he's got to go. <laughs> yeah. And it just end. You don't expect it to have such a happy ending. I mean, no, not for I, John Stewart or Danny DeVito. I'm pretty sure it doesn't end well for them. <laughs> no, I'm pretty. Oh, and that was another great piece of casting. Pam Ferris is Tommy Cotter. Genius. Yeah, absolute genius. Didn't see. I'd that forgotten she was in it until I watched it again the other day. Yeah, and and Harvey Fierstein as well as the shadowy villain. Yeah. Because I'd I'd only ever seen him in things where he did that kind of excitable high-pitched voice that he's got that's it if it's you almost like a one of his film the first one that would come into my head would be either independence day or mrs doubtfire independence day that's that's when i when i saw him first and he's a shadowy figure so you can't actually see who the actor is and you and you hear the voice there's there's a little undertone to the voice and i was thinking what's that what's that who's that from and it is, it's Independence Day. But I'm used to that kind of almost high-pitched whine that he did in that. So for him to come off as as a comedic tough guy. Yeah. I mean, the entire film is just casting against type. Everything is just cast against type. And that doesn't normally work. But it worked for absolutely every single one of them. Well, every he's perfect one of in that scene where he picks up Edward Norton and takes him for a ride in the car. Yeah. That's a great scene as well. The fact he drops him back off exactly where they were. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, you know, Harvey Fierstein, Pam Ferris, John Stewart. I haven't seen Catherine Keener in anything funny. You know, these these are all people I've I've then gone on to watch other work by them. Well, I it, Danny Woodburn, who as Angelo, who I'd only ever seen in Seinfeld. Oh, that's right, Seinfeld. Yeah. As a, he was Kramer's mate, wasn't he? That's right. And um, yeah, the guy from Tomorrow Never Dies and Batman Returns, Vincent Chavelli. Chavelli, I might be saying that wrong. Yeah, I, I'm not going to uh, attempt to um, pronounce his name because I know I'll get it. The fact he falls asleep when he's going to assassinate Smoochie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Michael Rispoli as Spinner. You know, yes, all right, he's technically he's playing part of a gangster's family and and maybe that's not casting against type but you know then you make him almost like a brain damaged boxer who just wants to be on kids tv and play with the cuddly rhino and it's just you know that's it he's just such a wonderfully sweet character as well yeah you know a, a, a sweet member of a mob family i mean when does that ever happen in movies yeah that's it because i think it was henry Rollins wanted that role oh that would have been a different role yeah yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I, I'm not sure Henry Rollins would have worked in that. To be fair, no. I mean, again, it's one of those things that you just kind of. I can't imagine anybody else in that role. Um, but yeah, he's just one with his cowbell. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. But I mean, you look at the entire cast, with the exception of Robin Williams, because you know that 
it was written for Jim Carrey, and you can imagine Cable Guy Jim Carrey in that role. Yeah. I can't recast that film. I mean, I love to recast films for remakes. It, it's one of the favourite articles I have to write is my what-ifs, where, you know, I remake something in my head 20-odd years later. I can't remake Death to Smoochie because I can't cast the rest of it. No. I, I, um, I, who, we had a conversation who, about recasting High Noon, didn't we? <laughs> Which was tough enough in itself. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I can't find anybody working nowadays with Edward Norton's level of fame at the time that could come in and play that role so straight, so calm, so kind of almost apologetic. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it'd be very, like I say, it'd be far too easy to lean into the sweetness of the character. Whereas I think with Norton, there's a darkness behind the character, which comes out when he starts to, rep- he starts to get angry at Catherine Keener's character and then starts to do his little thing to repress it back down again. Yeah, but that only works because it is, it's done not that often. Yeah. When it does happen, you're like, ooh, where yeah, did again, this that, come from? That lays a groundwork for maybe the corruption of that character that never comes. Yeah. I, I mean, I thought Lawton was brilliant. I mean, some of the, some of the reviews that I've, I've read in, in recent years of this are just... I genuinely don't think people got it. No, I don't, because a lot of the reviews I read are like it was woefully miscast. I, was, was it though? <laughs> I mean, really? I think it was probably. I I can't. I can't think of any other film so perfectly cast all the way down. Not just the main characters, everybody, all the way down. I say even down to the tiny roles, the boss, the bosses at the TV station, the ones that John Stewart's talking to at the beginning. It's perfect casting. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought of John Stewart to play Stokes? You know, I, I know that he he wouldn't have been in my my top twenty choices to play that role. But now I cannot imagine anybody else playing it like John Stewart did. <laughs> There's a good interview on the DVD with John Stewart where he's kind of like, oh, you know, my acting thing is, do you want this madder or happier? <laughs> yeah. like, I can do me to these extremes. <laughs> yeah. But that, but that is why it works, isn't it? Because he is he is playing an incarnation of John Stewart that we can believe John Stewart could be like that if the camera was turned off. Yeah. Or you kind of you kind of want John Stewart to be that kind of person in real life because he is such a nice guy. Yeah. He is so lovely that you kind of you don't want him to be that lovely in real. It turns out he is bastard. I know. But isn't it nice to just imagine that John Stewart isn't quite the goody two shoes that you think he is. And, you know, roles like that only work because of that. It's the scene in the car where he first meets with Robin Williams post scandal. <laughs> where he gives him the goodie back. <laughs> he's like, he's like, you lost all your money. He's like, yeah. And you think he's yeah, just yeah, going to give him some shampoo. cash. And he gives him some good, he gives him a goodie back. It's like, he's got a disposable yeah. camera in it. <laughs> some hand oils. But he did it with no sense of irony. He genuinely no. thought he was helping. And it's just, oh, my God. Oh, you know, I mean, the fact that, you know, that is what John Stewart would do. He would give you his last goodie bag because he's quite lovely. Yeah. And it works. You know, any other actor does that scene and they're like, here's a bag of shampoo. You know, and, the, the, and the joke of that character, that. even when he's like complicit in the assassination of Smoochie, 
you get the feeling that he thinks he's doing it for the right reasons. Oh yeah, he's he's definitely been dragged along into something he didn't plan. <laughs> he, he he's not the genius. No, definitely not. To no. the point, it's like, what what do we do now? It's like every man for himself. <laughs> yeah, but that kind of it, it's almost showing you what an awful lot of movie executives are probably like. Yeah, they have the title of executive, but they don't really know what they're doing. They just go along with everybody else. Maybe that's why the film wasn't kind of promoted in the way it could be. Perhaps it just hit too close to home for some of the studio people. Yeah, I mean, you look at it and it's kind of like, it's weird this film was even made. <laughs> yeah. To a certain degree. It's like they made it and then at a certain point the producers were watching it. It was like, shit, that's kind of like, oh, fuck, we got to bury this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who, whoever gave them $55 million dollars to make this film is probably not working at warner brothers anymore no probably not and and apart from cast wages i can't really see where a lot of the money went <laughs> no it's i mean it's one of those films that you don't get anymore that 40 to 55 million movie well, they, they i mean they're netflix it. movies now it's either like 10 million or below or 100 million and above there seems yeah. to be none of that middle ground anymore. No, nope. you've got like a little tiny Clint Eastwood film or you've got a superhero film. There's nothing in the middle. It's where, <laughs> it's where Terry Gilliam used to survive. He used to make, you know, your $20 million films. Yeah. They're, they're just not there anymore. You know, Duncan Jones had to go to Netflix to make the, the second part of the Moon trilogy. I mean, why? Did Moon not do well enough for a studio to make that? I, yeah, I, I mean, probably financially, it probably didn't, unfortunately. But, oh. but I mean, nobody, nobody waits for the DVD sales anymore. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm a big fan of, of Netflix and what they're trying to do. They don't always get it right. They've given Adam Sandler far too much money than his talent actually deserves, and that makes me quite cross. Yeah, but, I mean, to be fair, though, if Adam Sandler films have got to go anywhere, I'd kind of rather they popped up on Netflix than... Oh, I'd rather they popped up on something I don't pay for. Fill the cinema, but... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they make money for Netflix to do what they do, then fair enough. Yeah. I mean, not <laughs> if, every. If I've got to take six Adam Sandler films to get X amount of interest in projects. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll watch an Adam Sandler film if it guarantees me a Death to Smoochie sequel. <laughs> I'll put that out there now. If Netflix executives are listening, I will watch one of your bloody Adam Sandler things if you make Death to Smoochie 2. What would you do? What would you do for a death to Smoochie 2 then? Oh. Bearing in mind we've no longer got Robin Williams with us anymore, sadly. No, I know. I know. Oh, I can't imagine doing it without Robin Williams, to be honest. Um, I think I would definitely put it in the world of 24-hour news. I would definitely... You know, I mean, Fox News is a satire of itself, but I would definitely put it in some kind of conservative news station. So what, like Sheldon Mopes becomes a uh, pundit? Yeah, Sheldon Mopes. 24-hour rolling news. Yeah, I mean, could you imagine Sheldon Mopes having a segment on a Fox News show? <laughs> that kind of thing. You know, where Fox News has just gone and supported, you know, whichever corrupt Nazi president they've got at the time, just that bit too much, so they need to rein it back in, so they hire <laughs> Sheldon Mopes. I'm trying to picture a world where, where, uh, where Fox News thinks they've gone too far. <laughs> Well, yeah, but in 2002, Death of Smoochie was unbelievable, so you never know what might well, happen. Yeah, yeah, very true. 
everything in Death to Smoochie happened after Death to Smoochie came out. Everything. Yeah. Na- Nazis, corrupt charities, everything. Death to Smoochie was like, I don't know, Nostradamus or something, wasn't it? It predicted everything. So, yeah, I mean, there could be a time. <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face. There could be a time when Fox News thinks they've gone too far. But I think that would, that would be the only thing you can satire now because it's the only thing on your TV screens is 24-hour rolling news. That's it. That's what I said. I mean, beyond YouTube, there's not a lot else that you can satire TV-wise anymore. No. I don't even think kids care that much about kids' TV anymore. So. They're too busy watching unboxing videos on YouTube. Oh, God. Well, yeah, what's that about? I don't know. It it baffles me completely. So, but yeah, no, I I think that is an interesting way to go with it. We should maybe get Danny DeVito in on this. Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't like we really, know him. Just call I, him up. I, yeah, yeah. I just genuinely don't think any studio is ever going to give Danny DeVito money again. I really don't. Apart from he's in the new um Jumanji film. He is, yeah. And that might, you know, put him back out in the in the mind's eye and you know, you never know. They might give him some money and he well, he might pay them back by ripping them apart in a film. There is that and there was that thing that he uh countered Justin Bieber's fight to um offer to fight Tom Cruise with an offer to fight Justin Bieber. <laughs> I love Danny DeVito. I do as well. That I mean I did no wrong. <laughs> But, but yeah, no. Um, so, sort of finishing thoughts on Death of Smoochie. If you got the DVD in your hand and you're handing it to somebody who's going to watch it for the first time, what would you say to them to make them watch it? This is possibly the funniest but truest documentary you're ever going to watch. <laughs> because awesome. it is. It really is. It wasn't at the time. At the time, it was just a very darkly funny film that nobody got. But it's real life now. And it's real life presented by a purple fucking rhino. <laughs> <laughs> and from your point of view, like, if you, to put that personal touch on it, what that film means to you? Um, to put you on the spot. <laughs> any excuse to see Robin Williams in anything is always welcome. Um the man was a genius. He was a huge part of my upbringing from his stand-up stuff from Mork and Mindy in the eighties when I was a little bit younger, you know, the Fisher King when I was getting into Gilliam. I love you know, the Fisher King. Yeah. I mean, Rob, Robin Williams, I, I, I genuinely don't think he made that many wrong decisions in his career. Um, and I don't think this is one. I think it's incredibly nice to watch Robin Williams play something so against type for what he had done up to that point yeah and i think it opened a niche for him didn't it with that thing so like you know world's greatest dad and all those darker williams films yeah i mean he got to swear more after death to smoochie i don't ever remember robin williams swearing before death to smoochie to be honest no i remember him being the one that his parents were like yeah you can watch that it's got robin williams in it (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) oh i've got the new robin williams film on can i watch this what's it about it's about purple dinosaur on kids tv yeah yeah yeah, you'll be fine (laughs) what's that morks in it yeah carry on (laughs) yeah but i mean any excuse to watch robin williams and something that i really enjoy and and you know death to smoochie's up there with good morning vietnam for me in in how funny I find him and how much pleasure I get watching him perform in those two films. Um, Edward Norton's one of my all time favorite actors. Um, 
I can watch him in anything. And I, I genuinely think the way he had to rein back what could have been a very over-the-top performance is just incredible acting in this. Um, and, you know, Danny DeVito still hasn't made a bad film in my eyes. No. That's, that's so I think it's safe to say that you fucking love this movie. I fucking love this movie. Well, and why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's amazing. Like I say, thank you for doing this. Nope, thank you for um, letting me on. I really enjoyed it. And thank you for talking death to Smoochie. Yeah, no problem at all. Thank you. Um, sort of anything like to plug Dreamcage? Yeah, go people can find you online. Yeah, go, go and read us on the dreamcage.com, uh, albimedia.com. Follow me on Twitter at stbwrites. And, you know, I'll try not to swear at you. Or do, if people request it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, if you pay me, I'll swear at you. You, you Stuart, I will swear out for free. Well, I mean, I've earned it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll swear if paid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, cheers for that, Steve. Yeah, no problem at all. Thanks for having me. And that was the first episode of And Why Not. I'd like to thank Steve Taylor Bryant for being my guest on this episode. Uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed talking about Death to Smoochie. Uh, if you haven't checked out the film yet, do so now. Uh, you can pick it up on DVD from Film 4 releases. Um, it should still be widely available on Amazon, HMV, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, if you haven't checked it out yet, um, or I don't think it's on any streaming services, but it's always worth checking. They change it constantly. Um if you'd like to follow Steve online, you can find him on Twitter at, at @stbwrites, uh, or you can read his work and others on thedreamcage.com or albimedia.com, which is A-L-B-I-E-M-E-D-I-A.com. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode and it's your first time with us, why not check out The Haunted Nerds on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash haunted nerds. Uh, you can find all our, the list of all our old episodes including ones that aren't widely available anymore um, on our, the website which is oktruebelievers.com and then just click on podcasts um, so far there's a couple episodes of Y Comics and all the previous Nerds Who Haunted Themselves episodes if you feel like subjecting yourself to the Nerds one uh, Y Comics is definitely worth checking out though um, and yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter as at TokenNerd. Uh, like I say, hope you enjoyed the show. Come back next week when we will have another episode of Why Comics. Um, I won't announce the guest yet until I've recorded it. I should be recording it the day this goes out. So, um, yeah, once that's in the bag, I'll make an announcement on our various social medias and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it, and thanks for listening. And uh, uh, see you again next, or, you know, you'll hear me again next week. Cheers. Bye.